Hello and welcome to the Potshot Podcast, an Arsenal podcast for nerds. I'm Alex Towles. And I'm Alex Collings. And this week we have got two big games to discuss. Of course, last weekend we went over to the as yet unnamed corporate sponsor stadium for to-, to play Tottenham Hotspur. And this weekend we've got Manchester United coming to visit the Emirates. And these games, I think it's fair to say, are pretty, pretty massive in the context of our season. So what we're going to do today is we're going to have a look at both games, have a look at what we think went right for us in the, th- in the Spurs game, and see if we can identify any themes that are going to carry over to the United game, as well as talking about the threats that Manchester United can pose us, because as much as we all hate to admit it, they are a pretty good team right now. Let's get straight into it then. Tottenham Hotspur, we beat them 2-0 with two first-half goals at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Absolutely soulless, you hate to see it. Uh, But there was a couple of things that we did against Spurs that we haven't really done in any other game this season. I don't know if we haven't seen it before this season, but it definitely stood out in this game, and it's not something that we generally do see, I think, just given the shape that we were playing against. And obviously, um, that was Saka doing a sort of man-marking job on Sessegnon that when they push up their wing-backs, we basically had five five man-on-man across their, their front five, um, which obviously included Doherty on the other side, but that side we had Zinchenko hanging on to him. Uh, I think it worked really well. They were obviously quite clearly trying to, to use Sessegnon's runs in behind. We had Saka ready for that and basically just superior athleticism. I think uh, Sessegnon was a pretty smart player with, in terms of his movements behind, but Saka could react quickly, strong enough to hold him off and allow the other team to react. So basically, as soon as they were trying to play those balls over, uh, Saka was on him. Saliba and Gabriel or whoever, or Ben White rather, were, were going back towards the goalkeeper just to protect the goal. And they tried that. Two, three times, I think, early. We watched together yesterday, and it just didn't work any time, even if the run itself from Sessegnon was good. I think I will say Spurs weren't that impressive in terms of... It was basically pretty clear that they were going to try play that ball. Uh, I think once they did it the first time, it maybe caught us slightly off guard, but Zaka was quick enough to recover. The other two times, we we anticipated it pretty easily. Uh, I think it was a smart it was a smart adjustment from... Arteta and kind of shows also that faith he has in, in just having us um, go man for man at the back there. Yeah, we saw, didn't we? Like, I suppose we'd use Kane and Son to try and hold the back line forward so there's space in behind for Sessignon to fell into. Uh, and as you very eloquently described, they didn't work. We, we stopped him from doing it. It's yeah, great. I think, like, like you, you touched on there, part of the reason is that it, it just starts from so deep. And obviously it makes sense because they want that space for Sesson Young to run in behind. But there's, yeah, I don't know. It, it just shows that there's not real intricacy there. I mean, basically they had their back line still kind of passing around in their, in their own half and then their front line, not too far into our half, obviously creates that space in behind. But I think we managed it pretty easily. And it made what they were going to do pretty predictable. There wasn't that threat of it, any small sort of connections just around the box that adds that extra element that we had to, that we would have had to prepare for. It's interesting that last game, if I remember correctly, when we played them earlier in the season, I think we were pressing a lot higher, trying to crunch them 
And what we were seeing is a different sort of problem with Spurs then is that almost all of those link-ups and automations, whatever you want to call it, like kind of ran out when it's got to, once it got to the halfway line. And then this game, we were actually, maybe because of how early we scored, but we were, we scored early in the last game too, if I'm, if I'm remembering right. I don't know off the top of my head. I think we did. Um, we should have looked this up before the pod. But anyways, oh. we've done it now. <laughs> but, but now we were a little bit more of a mid block. Aggressive at certain, on certain triggers, I think less aggressive on others, just kind of allowing them to, to play the ball. But there wasn't really much happening. So either way, I think Spurs just, once they get into our half, whether it's, you know, ending the combinations, reaching like, um, Son and Kane, it, once it gets into the other half on the counter, like they were trying to do versus us in the first game, or whether it's still in like a settled possession, build-up phase, like we saw in the last game. Both times that they don't really have those answers. I think this was a... It, it sounds weird to say because Spurs have a lot of quality. Kane's still one of the best players in the league. Um And obviously it's also... It's a derby when we're playing... We were playing away, you know, where we've lost for the previous, what, nine years. I think last time we won, Arteta was captain um of the club. And still actually playing, not like 2016, this was 2014. But... But it it never felt that it was going to be a particularly diff- difficult game for us. I know that, that there was that number going around that Ramsdale saved like 2.41 X, XG on target. But I think that just comes from... I'm, I'm also a little bit dubious about that stat. But but I think that just comes from the quality of some of the, the players that they managed to make from pretty much nothing rather than the general quality of their play. I think it was a very easy game and straightforward in that respect. Yeah, Kane and Son, like, do, and, and Kudasesti as well, to be fair, do have the ability to just kind of make high-quality shot out of not very much at all. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. So they, they they weren't providing very much, and then they made something from nothing, but you want to be making something from something, ideally. Um, we... <laughs> Yeah, I, I think well the, the, the phrase I've heard smarter people than me use before is a varied attack is what you want. You want to be able to threaten through many different options and avenues. Uh, and I think the best way to be able to do that is to be able to actually get into your opponent's final third. Yeah, I think case in point is Arsenal this season in terms of a yeah. varied attack. Absolutely, which is nice to say. And, and speaking about our attack, let's compare our attacking line to theirs, because that's something we did more watching. We saw that the Spurs attacking line was very, like, it was like straight lines. There was no depth. It was incredibly flat and not really much movement, especially in the first half. Uh, they did have a little bit more movement, a little bit more, like, exchanges and dropping deep in the second half. But in the first half, it was bad. And in the first half, we were good. We didn't just have a bank of five guys stood in a line by the centre-backs expecting something to happen. We, we had three guys pinning them high and wide, and then two players dropping off into the space just behind them. And it worked really well, because one of those players was Martin Erdegaard, and he absolutely wreaked havoc from that space in behind. What did you make of Erdegaard's game and our attacking structure which facilitated it? Uh, I think I think the point you bring up, um, just speaking about the depth that our attack creates versus theirs, and just in terms of like um, pure positioning, 
is a very relevant one. I mean, they, they, they were very flat. And basically what you get then is that everyone can kind of crowd that line and be ready to pounce. It makes it easier. Whereas what we, what we've been doing throughout the season and we, we took advantage of them a lot in the first game by creating a bit of depth. I think our, our first, that goal from Partey came from depth, creating a bit of depth in the first game that we played in the first derby. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's, yeah, it just allows, you know, some players kind of drop off. Then you can get those small links and you can kind of make those passes out. Whereas if everyone's on the same line, it's also easy for other teammates or opposition players to kind of crowd you, right? Uh, in terms of Odegaard's goal, I, I think that came from a transition moment, parte into Saka. And then, yeah, Saka played it back. They went tight enough to Odegaard who, yeah, got a shot off and scored. Uh, I think he, he's been very smart throughout the season of actually knowing when to drop off. There was also a really nice moment, um, earlier in the game where I think a shot comes from it, but basically we're pulling up Odegaard's making a sort of run kind of almost as if he wants to go in behind and then starts to slow his movement, but the Spurs players continue. Again, the classic sucker passes back into Odegaard. Odegaard has space to make a decision and thing makes a nice pass or something. It, it's a cutback, but the cutback isn't happening like from the byline to the six-yard box. The yeah, cutback of course is I happening should. to the edge of the box. <laughs> Perhaps the wrong terminology there, but yeah, I see it. It's the same sort of thing. Passing back in, let's say. Yeah. Mm. One of the other things that we saw this game that was quite interesting was our build-up was in a 3-3-4 shape, kind of the opposite of the 4-3-3. Uh, you put us in um, in the like Sky Sports lineup, if you will. Um, we had Saliba, Gabriel and White as the back three, which is what we'd expect. But then alongside Partey and Zinchenko in the line ahead of them, one of Xhaka and Erdogan was dropping back into that line to help us play up and through. Uh, Alex, is this something that we've been doing all season that we've only just noticed? Or is this something new that we've done specifically to counter Spurs? We, we've done it on occasion. I think this was more just matching up Spurs as three in midfield, potentially. Um, and also not necessarily needing to want or wanting to commit too high up front. And also trusting, I guess, having that three at the back in Gabriel, Saliba and White being able to be responsible for Kane, Kulusevsky and Son. Not that Kulusevsky was always that high. The other two were normally the ones remaining. Maybe also just considering the quality of player to have that plus one at the back. Uh, I think in the first half, it's more true for the plus one. And then I think in the second half, Kulusevsky did stay a bit higher um, or a bit closer into the action um, in transition moments so that then we still kept the same sort of shape to be able to be responsible for him. So I think that was part of it. And then just having a matchup in midfield and not needing to create too much. I think we also used the depth pretty well again to come back to that point where I don't think Spurs have handled that too well so we didn't really need to commit too much forward just manage the game one of the major themes that we've been talking about post world cup is of course the fact that we've got eddie and Ketia starting up front instead of gabby jesus uh, and this is something that we're not just going to have to think about in terms of how we played against spurs we're also going to have to think about how his play and how we adapt to his play will affect our game against united but he was really good against Spurs. We saw, again, like we're starting to see the team adapt 
to the way that Eddie plays. Alex, what can you tell me about um, the way that we have adapted to Eddie over the last few games? As a team, we're adapting much better than I expected when we lost Gabby J. Uh, performances have still remained pretty high uh, to a high level. Um, I think we're still managing to create those nice sort of combinations in around the box. I do think that we've lost some of that, uh, those rotations that were so sexy at the beginning of the season. We're not seeing nearly as much of that. We've spoken about that in past pods. Eddie's not really coming out wide to kind of connect or playing deep. You don't see him playing like controlling and trying to pass forward or carry out from deep down, creating overloads wherever he feels the need to, in the sense that Gabby J kind of had that license, right? Um, and the ability to do so. Uh, but I think what Eddie maybe offers instead is he's really good at occupying that last line. He's really good with his movements. He's also, he's a smart player. He knows when he needs to start pulling players away. He did that. I mean, I watched back the Newcastle and the, the Spurs games. He was doing that all the time, trying to pull away, um, pull players away. And then also knowing when to kind of come on, when to, and maybe he's a bit, he has a bit more of a threat. I think once you kind of playing a ball into that, into the, the box, you know, as someone who can get a shot off, whereas, Gabby J is more of someone who can carry around and obviously maybe he does have his finishing issues a little bit that make him a little bit less lethal in those areas. I still think that's something he can probably work on or would go through really good periods of form in terms of scoring. But yeah, I think overall you, you maybe trust Eddie a bit more in those situations. I do think versus United, I'm very interested. Um, I watched the, the Newcastle game back with a specific focus on how Eddie did because I had a feeling that after that game that... We actually, if we'd had someone like Gabby J, we maybe we would have been able to get a little bit more central penetration through those pockets versus their players, um, where because Newcastle kind of handled the wide areas quite well, and it did kind of it did kind of stick with me. I don't think I really changed my opinion. What I noticed is they were incredibly aggressive on Eddie when he was dropping in, which he does do, um, drops in to kind of you know keep a pass going. Uh, they were really aggressive and it did put off, him off pretty much all the time he has that really nice thing where he can move with the ball like turn with the ball and continue and he did that once and lost sharp pretty well uh, but other than that i think it was a pretty effective job that they did in being so aggressive on him and it's just because his first touch isn't as tight he's not as good on like maybe receiving the ball and turning with it he can turn with the ball's movement but not really receive and turn as gabby j could i think gabby j would have taken them out of the game a lot more or been fouled rather than just being pushed a little bit or put off. Uh, the other thing that I think Gabby J did really well is obviously would have done really well is just receiving in those tight pockets just outside the box or carrying into the box. That's something Eddie did really well to carry into those areas or to receive and to keep possession in those areas. But he didn't have that extra bit of like gold dust to be able to, to turn those into outright chances to score or to really to lose his man through that or play a pass in. You know what I mean? That's something I'm interested to see versus United. I thought Gabby J had a really good first game versus United. I think Lissandro maybe still has nightmares about him. Um, <laughs> and Varane's only way of winning that, of, of staying, of containing um, Gabby in that game was just to hug him the whole time. I think we're not going to quite cause as many problems with Eddie. And I'm interested to see how United sort of handle that. Because obviously I think they've been pretty good. I think Shaw might actually play rather than Lissandro. We'll see if Lissandro's deemed fit enough after his um after the World Cup. I don't think he's really started a Premier League game since then. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. 
How, how do you think starting Eddie every week has changed the role of Gabriel Martinelli? Because when Gabby Jesus was starting every week, Martinelli was a key part of those rotations. And as you've already noted, those rotations have uh, dried up a little bit with Eddie starting. Uh, how do you think that's affected Martinelli's game? I think one thing is clear is that there are less like swapping rotations. I think we still see Xhaka and Martinelli swapping on occasion, but it's less than it used to be. I'm not sure if that's Gabby J related at all. Perhaps it is because now with, um, you know, if you swap in Martinelli with, with Xhaka, you used to have Gabriel Jesus still there, someone who could really drop in, control in the midfield, take nice passes. You don't really have, and, and play on the turn, you know what I mean, play back to goal really well. You don't really have that with Eddie and Martinelli playing in those spaces together. You don't have one guy who can do it. So I think it does impact a little bit. I also I spoke about, I think he, he's been used almost as like this, we're, we've kind of gotten like a little bit more asymmetrical and he's being played as like the spearhead and on the counter being played really wide. Um, whereas we were actually using him to drop in a lot at certain times. We're not seeing that as much either. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I I kind of interpret it as a as a thing that we've lost because of Gabriel Jesus. Maybe I'm over allocating like why we've done that. Maybe it's been a, another tactical tweak. But we are using Martinelli differently, and I think in a way that isn't benefiting his output as much as it was um, before the World Cup. But I still think he's doing an admirable job um, in those areas. But I do I do miss him playing a little bit more being able to rotate in and get a little bit closer to goal at times. It is more balanced across, which I think has seen benefits in terms of maybe the output from Odegaard. We've seen that come to the fore a bit more, um, especially with him playing in those spaces. So I think the the system is kind of, and Arteta is figuring out different sort of solutions. And maybe from an aesthetic point of view, we can say it's, it's a little bit less exciting than, you know, when we were seeing all of those different like switches and everything, or rotations on the left. It's a little bit more balanced, a little bit more pep-like in a way. Um, but yeah, I still think I think it's it's been working. I just worry from a personal point of view, I would really prefer to have Gabby J for this game. Talking of Pep um, and Gabby Jesus, the other player that we got from Manchester City in the summer, Alexander Zinchenko, was another major part of the rotations that you were talking about there. But his role hasn't really slowed down since Jesus has been injured. If anything, is picked up and he's found himself popping up anywhere across the pitch. Uh, Alex, what have you made of Zinchenko's license to roam? And what do you think it says about our structure? It's a funny one because I feel that the, he doesn't have the same sort of license to roam in the sense that we gave Gabi Jesus, where I think a lot of what Arteta said and a lot of why Gabi J really loves playing that role is to said wherever you feel you need to kind of drop in to add, you know what you're going to do. You have this license to kind of wherever in the pitch pop up and make yourself effective. Don't think he's necessarily given that role to like Zinchenko as explicitly, but I think... Zinchenko kind of interprets his role as that we've seen a lot like more and more as the season's gone on you'll see him playing off a pass and then following play right onto the right side of the pitch I think versus versus Newcastle and versus um, Spurs you were really seeing him even getting into the hole at times trying to connect with Saka um, and he basically just he doesn't do it like 
um, intentionally in a sense that he's like, okay, now I want to go across there. He'll kind of follow the ball and as he's playing passes, make his way there. I think it just shows he has a lot of confidence in the system. I feel like it's a confidence, not that Pep really had this sort of like freedom that he would give players. I do think um, he gives a sort of a positional understanding and everyone sort of knows their job so well that I think Sinchenko is very confident in, you know, if he leaves the spot, someone's going to fill in. And I think he has that. He's a confident, brave player in general. He he plays a lot of passes that you you can show he's very confident in his actions, right? It doesn't really second guess things in the same way that I think even someone like Odegaard does. Um, but yeah, it's just an interesting thing. I mean, it's it's a lot more than than Ben White does, for example. Obviously, um, Zinchenko inverts into the midfield a lot more than White does. But but nevertheless, I think it's it's an interesting thing. I think it was um, the Bodo Glimp manager, and I'm taking this actually from someone I spoke I saw on Twitter uh, speak about it. Said that the only fixed positions in Arsenal's team are the two centre-backs and the defensive midfielder. And I think that's ringing true more and more. Arteta does subscribe to, like, Pep, the sort of Pep system of, you know, this balance, JDP, whatever, right? But I think he does give a lot more freedom um, to the players to be able to interpret what they're going to do. And when you have guys like Zinchenko, who I think obviously loves playing it anyway on the pitch, you, you do see that showing through a bit more. And the other thing I love about it, just how well the system works, as soon as Zinchenko does go across, you'll often see Odegaard as the guy who kind of scans and is the brain of the team. He'll be pointing to Xhaka, you'll see him throwing his arm, being like, okay, Xhaka, you've got to go fill that spot now. Xhaka will fall back into that spot. And we're very comfortable being in that sort of like those swapped positions for, for a sustained 30, 40 seconds at a time. It's just, everyone knows their role. Everyone knows everyone else's roles. Everyone knows the roles they have to fill when someone leaves theirs. And... Yeah, I think it's 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 something that's exciting. I really want to see where we can go to with this. Um, it's another thing that maybe I'm a bit sad not to bring up Mudrik, but he's someone that I really could have seen like contributing to these rotations in terms of how how much he likes to play on the inside, how comfortable he is wide, um, and I think that's partly why we were so in for him. Is we want to keep bringing in players that we can really plug in to a system that is so fluid and so flexible and players that can kind of contribute where they're playing wide or where they're playing inside in sort of not only just their role, but different roles inside the team. The, the audience listening can't see this. Maybe one day <laughs> if we get a video going, but I can. You're wearing an Ajax shirt. Alex, are Arsenal playing total football? <laughs> you see, I don't even know what total football really means beyond watching a couple of um Crave games for uh, for the Netherlands back then. Um Fair I think enough. we're playing <laughs> I think we're playing um better than total football. Uh I don't know. Obviously football's come a long a long way, but I think there are obviously, you know, you go from Crave, you go from Barca, you go to Pep, you go to Arteta. There are the, those same ideas are coming through. And I would imagine that we maybe are playing it in, and this could forgive my ignorance if I'm misunderstanding total football. But I think even Pep, with his sort of the the limits that he places on um, positions, I think he he gives less freedom to players. Right, he wants them <clears> to really play their role, control. He you know he's very much like this is what the system does. The system rules all. I think we are. You see a bit more of us in terms of these rotations. Everyone's sort of playing with the ball, um, moving in spots. I think maybe. We are a bit more in that line of like Crafian thinking. I mean, I think Crafe hated Louis van Gaal's interpretation of total football. I, th- I think I remember seeing. So, so perhaps, perhaps he would see us as a 
a return to 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 more his ideal potentially. Yeah. I, I, again, <laughs> forgive my ignorance. Uh, so th- those of you who are more tactics history buffs than us can yell at us in on over yeah, on Twitter at see, Pod I mean, I- Pod. <laughs> Tell us how we're wrong. Um, but something I hear a lot about total football is that like when a player would move up, then someone would drop in to fill his spot, which sounds like exactly what we're doing. Like everyone's got an innate knowledge of we need players in these positions, but it doesn't have to be the same players every time. Like if Zenchenko's wandering up and over across to the right hand side, then maybe Xhaka or Martinelli will pull back into the left back space. Partey will shift over. Erdgaard will shift over. So like the system itself is still holding shape, just with different players in different positions. Yeah, to be fair, I think I think from that point of view, I think you're you're spot on. I'm just always wary. I'm I'm sure we'll get shouted at by some person who who understands every Crave team that's ever had to play and exactly what they did. But we apologize. He's just gonna message us like, "Stop <laughs> chatting shit. Don't <laughs> talk about things you don't know." Oh, anyway. So the same as every pod, then. <laughs> but yeah, exactly, absolutely. <laughs> Let's look more at United now, then, um, because United are a pretty good side. So we should probably discuss the ways that they can um, threaten us, if you will. Um, let's start off by looking at their forward line because they've got, um, they've gone from having one striker in Anthony Martial to having two because they've got Big Vuit Vegos, uh, someone who I think I've mentioned on this pod before is one of my favourite players. So kind of sad to see him go to United. Kind of happy to see him doing well for himself. Kind of sad to see him go to United. By the by, um, but they've got Martial and Vuit Vegos as their two options to play up front against us. Um, Eric Ten Hag said after the City game that Martial was dying to play against City, and so he started him uh, even though he wasn't fit, so he only played 45 minutes, but that Martial was key to their pressing game. Um, Alex, I don't know if you have any United opinions, but I'm going to ask you anyway, what do you make of Martial versus Veghorst for United? And what different threats to us do you think they're going to pose? I think I'm more scared of Verhost. Um Definitely, if he gets put up and Eric Ten Hag does like his man m- mismatches, right? Player mismatches. Yeah. So especially if you put Verhost on Saliba, I think we could have a little bit of trouble. Saliba's, that's the sort of player that Saliba does tend to struggle with. Those really tall, physical guys. So I think that could be a challenge that also leads Saliba to being rash, even when he doesn't need to be, maybe because he doesn't really trust himself in other situations versus those players. It's generally when it's body on body that he struggles, but I think he he becomes a little bit more rash outside of those situations. Uh, so I would be a bit more scared of him in that sense. I think also set piece deliveries and stuff. Um, it could be, that could be an issue. Obviously, we could have Gabriel on Verhost, and I think we'd actually manage fine. Gabriel's also in fantastic form at the moment. Um, yeah, I would say that with Tony Marshall, I think he's still probably not fit. He's a good player, who, but not particularly consistent with that, I think. As big a fan of, as I've been of him over the years, um, yeah, it's, it's not completely worked out. I think there was a nice period especially in preseason, when it looked like it was all coming together from under 
Eric Tenagan might still, but um, I watched the City game. I wasn't particularly impressed with him, uh, to be honest. Uh, and obviously, injury probably contributes to that. But yeah, I, I guess I'm more, I'm more, I'm more worried about Verhost. I, I think I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not particularly worried about either of those guys. I'm more worried about someone like Rashford who could get in behind. Who, who do you think will start for United? Verkost or Machia? Uh, I'm not sure. I th- I'm I'm not sure. Verkost has been there for what about a week, over a week now. Yeah, he could start. He could start. But I, I remember Casemiro came in and still took a while to kind of get a start. So maybe and Eric Ten Tenag is someone who really wants people to understand his system so much so that I mean, he even wanted to bring in guys like Anthony who really understand his system, um, despite those sort of fees. So, so I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't start. I think I'd probably guess it'll be, um, it'll be Martial. If not some more kooky project, like maybe they'll have some sort of front two of like Rashford and Anthony once again. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but I would, I would say Vejos probably will come off the bench and not start, but I could be completely wrong. I'm basically basing this off of him not starting, not putting Casemiro in over McTominay. Straight away. Yeah, I mean, I agree completely. I, I think Martial will probably start. I think if Martial is as key to United's pressing game as Ten Hag makes him sound in press conferences, then I'm a little bit more worried about Martial starting over Weghorst than you are. However, at the same time, I'm not that fussed. <laughs> I'm not... I'm not... And I think... Man United have been really good in the big games, um, in terms of managing the press and stuff. So maybe we should be worried about Martial. Cause my interpretation, I was interested when I read that comment because I often see, um, Martial being criticized for, for his pressing. And I, I don't watch United, um, consistently enough or Martial's pressing, um, in depth enough to really have an opinion. So I deferred that knowledge. I consumed he's not probably the best presser, but I was interested to hear that. Definitely don't think he's the most intense. And so I think I'd interpret then that Ten Hag thinks he's a really intelligent presser. And I think what that's very important sort of pressing traps and stuff that Ten Hag likes to set versus the bigger teams. I think it's worrying from that perspective. But I also think Vejos is a very intelligent and a bit more of an intense presser. Um, obviously doesn't probably doesn't understand the schemes yet. So you would expect Martial would be preferred for what he can offer pressing from the front. I think we can play through them. I think we've got Zinchenko really looking in good form. I mean, Zinchenko's been playing, been just fantastic. He's so hard to 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 stop because I think of almost all players from those deep positions, those those straight vertical balls where he just slides them between like two players. Like it's close enough that opposition players like try to put out a leg to catch it, and it'll still consistently arrive at his man. Obviously, a little bit often a little bit high up right into into Jacques exactly the way he wants to receive it. I think we're very good at breaking lines like that. Ben White's obviously very good. We use him receiving a little bit deeper, pulls the press out, and he can play really good long balls if someone doesn't um, press onto him. So I think we're, I'm confident in our ability to play through the press. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously that's something that they've, that they've um, used well against big teams and they've used well against City, I think. So yeah. Do you think we'll see the same three, three, four build-up structure as we saw against Spurs? Oof, that kind of depends on how United set up, I guess. Um, I imagine we'll probably be using our sort of 2-3-5 or 3-2-5 
depending. I think we usually have Ben White sort of stagger between between those lines in these bigger games, actually. So it could also change within the game. Um, but yeah, what we've also been seeing, having said that, is we often do see a little bit of a staggered um, sort of build-up shape where one of our Odegaard or Jacques is slightly deeper, if not quite on, like, as part of that second line, they're sort of in between the front line and the and the middle line. So I think we'll probably we'll probably add an extra body in the middle line, to be honest. I also think what they're probably going to do is they put Ericsson, you know, of all people, on Odegaard in the first game. I wouldn't be surprised if they start um Fred in the in this game. Because he did quite a good job on on De Bruyne just tracking him everywhere. And Odegaard is in the sort of form that demands, you know, that sort of respect <laughs> to a degree from from the opposition. I was going to ask about that, actually, because um, we talked in the Newcastle game, after the Newcastle game, about how Odegaard really struggled um, and how Newcastle pretty effectively stifled his play. Um, do you think United will aim to do the same thing? Do you think United will succeed in doing the same thing? So on rewatch... Maybe, I'm not sure if I was the one who said that, Ari Odegaard, but I think Newcastle just stifled our play in general. <laughs> and they really, they really did set up to, to go. It's, it's, it's so different watching a game live and then watching it back when you know that it's going to end 0-0 and, you know, you can watch it a little bit more objectively. And they were a lot less threatening than they, than I thought they were in that game. Um, but they were also so frustrating to to play through at all. I think part of that was just the central stuff. So obviously, I think Odegaard was getting swamped, but I think all of our players were pretty much getting swamped. I'm not sure that there was such a job on Odegaard as in other games, but they have there has been. If any of our players has had a job done on them in terms of like a specific marking, it's been Saka and Odegaard through the season. Um, Martinelli got that that sort of respect versus with Lamsey in the Brighton game. But other than that, I think he's not he's not as um prioritized as those two. I think it's a good way to choke out games. I think Ten Hag's sort of tactics, the way I, I look at them, is he likes to choke out the opposition in terms of what they can kind of produce. If you look at like what they did where they kind of had the two center backs just allowing Holland to receive deep um in the city game knowing that he couldn't really do anything in those positions, but they would be very tight on, on De Bruyne, choking out the person in that position who can do some damage, allowing Haaland into areas where he can't do damage. It's obviously simple in concepts, but it, he executes them really, really well, preparing for specific matches. So I think we could definitely see that. I'll be interested. I'm really interested to see what they'll do with the back line. Like if Lissandro's ready again, I think Lissandro's someone I'd like to play against. And I'm not saying this to anger United fans at all, but I think he, he is quite reactive to situations. So he can get pulled out a little bit. And, and that did happen in the first game where we played them. Obviously, like I said earlier, we don't have Gabriel Jesus, who was the person pulling him all over the place, but we still do have guys like Saka. Whereas I think Shaw's just really good at reading situations. I think he's a better defender than Lissandro, to be honest. Um, yeah, I forgot what the question was, but... Will they man-mark Odegaard out of the game? Or, like, do other ways to stifle Odegaard? I think they could do that. And I think if they if you manage to do that on Odegaard, it really stifles us as a team a lot more. So I think it's an effective thing to do. And I think they managed that pretty well um, in the 
in the ho- in their home fixture. Yeah, I I remember talking about it after the game, being like, oh yeah, Erdogan was a little bit less impactful than we might have hoped. So we'll see if that carries through into this game at the Emirates. Uh, one last thing I want to talk about about United uh, is behind that back line that you talked about in such glowing terms is David De Gea, who exists. Um, obviously, there was a big, big fuss made over the fact that he tried and failed to play out the back at the start of the season. They switched to playing it long. He looked a lot more comfortable. Uh, but then after the World Cup, when they were playing some weaker sides, they started to play out the back once again. However, they then switched straight back to pumping it as far up the field as physically possible from De Gea against City last week. So, firstly... Do you think we'll get the same respect as City in that De Gea will just pump the ball long rather than trying to play it short? And secondly, do you think that's a good thing for us? So yeah, like you said, they did. They have been trying to play a little bit more build up, you know, passing through, and then they have been reverting that to that in the big games, not just versus City. So I do definitely think we're going to get that respect from them, and I think it will suit us. To be honest, I mean, if they play through, we're as good as we are. Oh, sorry. And I think... Uh, okay, cool. And I think it will benefit us. Um, I've actually been very impressed. I mean, if we look at both the the recent the recent couple games, we've got better at um, winning the ball from, from... We've got better at winning the ball from goal kicks. I think we've got a really good backline. I was actually speaking to you about this, but we both had this sort of idea, and we've spoken about it on the part of Zinchenko being a bit of a liability um, in the air. And in relative terms, he is because White's on the other side. And obviously, he's pretty good, especially for a right back in the air. He's proven that. But I was looking at, at, at Zinchenko's stats, and he's actually got a 60% win rate in the air, which is about 80, 80-something percentile for, for left back. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely been sort of like a bias on our end just because of how often he's targeted. Um, and it shows through, I think he's really good at, at reacting to things in the air. So that's something I've only really realized yesterday. Um, and I think we do win. I think also we kind of, we know when to use him and when to not. So like what we've done in the past was we've had Gabriel switch with Senchenko, um, in the West Ham game when they were putting Suchek out wide to, to win those, um, balls from the goal kick. We had Gabriel there. So I think we're well set up for those sort of whatever's going to come our way. I think if they have Vejos, it does add to that sort of aerial threat um, and winning it from long that we'll definitely have to deal with. But I think we're pretty good. Uh, yeah, and if they try pass out through us, I think we're going to handle them well. I think Casemiro and Fred are both very exploitable. Uh, as I was saying, like even in the in the Spurs game, where we were doing a bit more of a mid-block a lot of times, we still knew when to press really high. We got a lot of high regains in that game. We caused them a lot of pressure, especially in the counter-press. Um, so if they lose balls in those situations, um, or if we lose balls in those situations, I think we'll be able to kind of have a lot of faith in our ability to regain it really quickly. And then from from long kicks, I think we're also pretty good. I think we're in a good space as a team at the moment. I don't think this is too much luck, the recent performances that we've got. And I think this is something that we've maybe a little bit added defensively over the season, just that handling goals from, wait, being defensively good from goal kicks and stuff like that. Something we were good at in the beginning of the season, I think we're actually better at now. Well, lastly, you mentioned in passing 
uh, right at the top when I was talking about what striker they were going to play, that you actually weren't scared particularly of Martial or Vegas. Instead, you were scared of Manchester United's in-form number 10, Marcus Rashford. Why so? Because he's scary, yeah. <laughs> he can get in. I mean, I don't think there's too much more to say about Rashford. He's 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 a demon on on in transition moments. I think they are gonna go try go long. If they win balls and sort of in those situations where we lose it high up, you best bet that they're gonna try play it down the lines, down the channels. So I think those are situations where we can hurt each other. If we lose it in their half they'll try play it right in behind we're obviously going to be brave as we were as we've been throughout the season we're going to play a high line and just trust my players i don't think Arteta's going to try drop that line at all nor do i think he should i think it's really good when it works and it was working against united a lot they when they scored against us they had two goals from just absolute um beautiful balls in behind that you can't really criticize and if that happens it's the quality of the opposition that we're up against the individual quality of the players, I'm fine with that. Um, obviously, the one was when we were really pushing to win a goal. Hopefully, we don't go behind in this game. <laughs> that we can. I think if we score early, we'll be pretty in a good spot. But I think that's pretty much been the case for us throughout the season. Yeah. But yes, Rashford is scary in summary. Yeah. <laughs> Rashford is scary. Uh, if we score early, we'll probably be fine. Uh, Vuk Vegost exists. So let's predict, let's predict the scores because you know I'm not going to let you get away without predicting the scores. We didn't <laughs> do a prediction for the Spurs game because we didn't talk about it, but we'll do a prediction for the United game. Why not? And I'm going to go first. I'm feeling confident. I am Mark Lawrence and I'm predicting Liverpool never lose for like five years in a row. Uh, I'm predicting a 2-0 Arsenal victory. What do you think, Alex? I'm also predicting a 2 Arsenal victory. I don't want to. Okay. I want to, you know, have to copy you. If you're a Manchester United fan listening to this podcast, firstly, why? Secondly, uh, we're sorry, but um, yeah, we are going to win. Let's hope so. Touch wood. I Touch went into wood. the Spurs game with ridiculous confidence, and it paid off. So I'm going into the Manchester United <laughs> game with ridiculous confidence, and it's going to pay off. This is like the one season we're allowed to have ridiculous confidence. We may as well lean into it. Let's end off the show with a round from Towles' trivia book. Um, I'm going to take the page number we're looking at today from the Emile Smith Row shirt behind you, uh, which has the number 32 on it. So we're going to page 32. Ah. Oh, yes. I hope, I hope I'll do anything for Emile Smith Row to come off the bench and score. That would be quite I, nice. I said this versus Spurs as well, but every game until it happens. You want to on the pitch. Right. <laughs> Pick a number between four and seven. Um, don't know why I'm putting so much effort into this. Seven. Seven. Okay. Oh, you, if you get this wrong, Jesus Christ. Uh, which of these managers replaced George Graham in 1995? Hmm. I wonder. Is it A. Arsene Wenger? B. Bruce Rioch? To see Don Howe or D Billy Wright. Uh Bruce Rioch. Oh yeah, it was Arsene. It was. Were not, you going to say Arsene Wenger? It was Bruce Rioch. Yeah, correct. 
What am I doing? I can't read. I looked at the top answer. I, so, so the answer to question. So this was question seven. Question one at the top of the answers was, was Arsene Wenger, and I read that one as the correct answer. I'm wrong. Okay, Bruce Rioch is the correct answer. Alex Collins knows what he's doing. Well done. Of I tried course. to bait you into of answering Wenger there. Did you? Did you? As being a bit sly. All I'm hearing is one guy on the pod didn't um, know that Bruce Rioch was our, was our Emery back in 1995. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Rioch, the man, the myth, and the legend. <laughs> well, that's the end of the pod. Uh, thanks, Alex, for being here and telling me all about Alexander Sinchenko. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, if you want to find more of Alex's opinions, you can do so on Twitter at AlexFRCO. If you want more of my opinions, you probably can't find them at AlexTowers on Twitter, but I'll be there anyway. Uh, you can find the pod at PotShotPod if you want to tell us about how we were wrong about Total Football. Uh, you can find the intro and outro music on Spotify. And all, well, you can't find the music, but you can find the person who made the music on Spotify and all of those things at JW Blake. James Blake, he's the best. And you can find us next week breaking down how painfully wrong we were about Manchester United and looking ahead to the next game, which is against somebody I don't know. See you there.